good stuff today during worship. Thank you, everyone, for leading us in that. Um, my son, Caleb, he's over there helping with media. He's a big kid now. When he was about two or three, he, um, he would carry around this little stuffed animal like a lion. We, we bought three or four of them so that when it got dirty, we could wash one. Or if we lost one, we had a backup. It was just this little lion. And he just so identified with this lion and he so identified with stories about lions that if an adult or a new person met him and he's like two or three and they said, what's your name, young man? He would look up at them and he'd say, I'm Caleb Rudd, John Lion King. <laughs> so he just, he had this thing with lions and in culture, we have this thing with lions. In history, we, there are lion crests, there's the lion hearted. Um, in our front, um, in our front foyer, we have a picture of a lion and a lamb uh, by Bob Wright. Um, Caleb, can you put that up? Is it there? Yeah, right there. That's in our entryway. And it's a common picture in Christian um, history and symbolism. And if you think today to things like the Lion King, we like that story, or the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, we have all of this different imagery of lions. So there are many metaphors about who God is, and we find them throughout scripture. And today I wanna review four of them. The lion, the lamb, the gate, and the shepherd. And we're gonna do this pretty quickly. We're gonna go through it pretty quickly. The first picture of God is of God as a lion or the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's a popular picture of him because in Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his son and compares the tribe of Judah to the, a lion cub. And Jesus comes from that tribe. So people think of him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, Job, when he's complaining to God about his trials, Oh, goodness, I just noticed my mom is wearing a Seahawks outfit. I know it's the Super Bowl today, and my team is not there. Sorry. Distraction. Squirrel. Anyways, have fun at the Super Bowl today, everyone. <laughs> Anyways, Job. Job, in his complaint about his trials, cries out to God and says, If I am proud, you hunt me like a lion. Wow. Imagine Jesus coming after you for your pride. Hosea the prophet says that the Israelites will follow the Lord and he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling. So we see all these pictures and as Christians, we know that Jesus is king of the jungle. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. But today I want to focus on something else. The great lion of the tribe of Judah conquered evil and death by becoming a lamb slain for the sin of the world. The king of the world laid down his life for us. And that's what gets Steve over there so choked up and teary-eyed. <laughs> John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he would say, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
later on in the book of Revelation, John the apostle has this incredible vision and it's of, of the throne room of heaven and there's angels and there's creatures and supernatural beings and there's thunder and there's lightning and it's loud. And John is distressed because he sees the scroll that needs to be opened, but no one can open it. And then an elder comes to him and says to John, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John looks and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And he goes and he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the living creatures and the 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb. Each one has a harp and they're holding golden bowls of incense in there. And these are the prayers of God's people. And they sing a new song. We sing new songs today. And this was the new song they sing in this vision. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. That uniqueness, people of different tribes, tongues, languages, nations, that uniqueness comes together and we become a kingdom of priests to serve our God. Later on in Revelation 7, he describes the lamb again. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. This is a lamb shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Later on in Revelation John sees another vision of a great war and there's angels and Michael and his angels are fighting a dragon and his angels. And then John sees Satan hurled down because of the authority of the Messiah. And then he hears a loud voice say, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So the blood of the lamb that was slain and their unique word, kind of like what Leslie was saying, their unique story, those things combined allowed them to triumph. And like Steve was saying, they did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but he lives in me. So today, I don't want to focus on the lion, but I want to focus on the lamb at the center of the throne who is our shepherd. This lamb shepherd lays down his life for people of every tribe, language, people, and nation, makes us a kingdom of priests, leads us to springs of living water, wipes away tears from our eyes, and leads us in triumph. We're going to go to the book of John, chapter 10, where John records Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. That's what we're going to look at. He says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. But we're also going to talk about good shepherds and bad shepherds. Let me give you an example of a not so great shepherding thing that happened that I did. I was teaching the children, children's church and preschool. I was shepherding the little ones and trying to teach them the parable of the lost sheep. And I was so excited. We had cotton crafts. We had, you know, all the things little kids need, you know, all sorts of ways to learn about Jesus going after his lost sheep. 
I was so excited. I wanted to imprint this message on these little preschoolers' heads. And so as they were leaving Children's Church, I asked them, I said, hey, what did we learn today? And this sweet little, little preschooler looked up at me and said, Jesus lost his sheep. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> no, Jesus is a good shepherd, and he has lost sheep, but he doesn't lose his sheep. So that's good news. But let's talk about some bad shepherds and some good shepherds. Scholars, and if you look at the writing and you look at the way the story is structured, you're like, oh, I can see this. They believe John 10 is following John 9. John 9 is a super long chapter about Jesus healing a blind man on the Sabbath. It's such a long chapter, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to summarize it real quick. Jesus heals a man who is blind from birth, and what follows is, again, a major confrontation with Pharisees. Surprise, surprise. Instead of accepting the healing of this blind man, the Pharisees reject it because it happened on the Sabbath, outside the rules. Instead of rejoicing with the man that he's healed, they hurl insults at him. And instead of welcoming this blind man into a new world of discovery, he can see now. Instead of doing that, they interrogate him and his family to see if they should be excommunicated and how they're going to throw him out of the synagogue. Because they had agreed, if anyone says this, Jesus is the Christ, he has to be thrown out. Instead of giving glory to God and seeing Jesus as the Messiah, the Pharisees accused Jesus of being a sinner and demon-possessed. That's what happens in chapter 9. At the end, it's very clear that while the blind man is given sight, the Pharisees remain guilty and obstinately blind. It's into this context that chapter 10 opens. It opens with these words. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. Researching this, studying this this week, I found out something interesting about that term. It's often translated, verily, verily, or very truly, or most assuredly, I tell you, the truth. The word there is actually amen. The word amen. It's in Hebrew and it's in Greek. The word amen is used at the beginning of a conversation to say, truly, surely, yes. Next slide, please. Um, it's used at the beginning of a discourse or, or to say, it's to open up a conversation. It's also used at the end to say, so be it, may it be fulfilled. To say amen was a custom which passed over from synagogues into Christian assemblies so that after a reading or a discourse or a conversation about scripture or a prayer was offered to God, everyone else would say amen and thus made the substance of what was uttered their own. So when Jesus says, verily, truly, or amen, I tell you Pharisees, He's saying, I have something from God, something like scripture to talk with you about. He's emphasizing, I have authority to say this. And when I'm done, there's an opportunity for you to say, amen. So it is. Let it be fulfilled. We'll make this our own. He's giving them a chance. 
These religious leaders had been so cruel and so unhelpful to the blind man and his parents that Jesus felt it necessary to contrast his work as a spiritual leader of God's people to their work as leaders. And he does this by contrasting true shepherds with thieves and robbers. Okay, so I have a picture of a little sheep pen. Um, could you put that up? Thank you. This is a small one. There were many more that could have been much bigger than this. And at this time, you would have at night, shepherds would bring their sheep and sometimes there'd be shepherds from lots of flocks. Imagine a bigger sheep pen. And so you could have two or three or four flocks in one sheep pen. And at night there would be one gatekeeper who would stand there and he would allow the shepherds that he knew to come to the gate. And the shepherd would stand at the front of that gate and he'd call out to his sheep and his sheep would make his place to the front and come with the shepherd out. So let's read John 10. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees. This is to the Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus uses figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. There's a proper way to gain entry into people's hearts and lives, but the religious leaders were like thieves. A thief is secretive, waiting to strike, manipulative, waiting for power and control of a situation. It has, it has self-interest and preservation at heart. Or we can be like robbers who are openly violent. That's the difference, right? A thief is secretive. A robber is openly violent, openly assaults. And they're deciding who's in and who's out. But a good shepherd doesn't force his way in. A good shepherd stands at the gate and the gatekeeper opens for him. And the shepherd calls out with a distinctive call. Thinking about how we each have our own voices. We as sheep, each one of us is distinctive. A shepherd would call you out by name. You, the one with the white nose. You, the noisy one. You, woolly bully. <laughs> Crooked horn, woolicious. What's the name that you have? The shepherd is familiar to sheep. They know him and his voice. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. A true shepherd goes ahead of us and leads us by example. He doesn't put us out there vulnerably. I've read lots of stories about sheep this week. 
There was one where someone did an experiment where they took a flock of sheep and they took the shepherd and they took all the clothes off the shepherd and put it on another shepherd. And they tried to see if the sheep would follow that shepherd who was wearing the other shepherd's clothes. Nope, they didn't budge. It's not about the way he looked. It was about the shepherd's voice. I read another story about all of these Bedouin sheep herders who brought hundreds of sheep to a, pond, to, a, to a watering hole, to a spring, and all of the sheep and goats mixed in to these flocks, all when they were going for the water, they all mixed up. And the shepherds were not worried because when all of the sheep had had their water, each shepherd had a distinctive call and immediately the shepherds went off or the sheep went off to the right shepherd. Another story about a herd of sheep, that, a flock of sheep that was um, stolen. I'm like, I don't know if I believe this one because everything else is saying they wouldn't leave someone else. But anyways, this was a story I read. The sheep had followed these robbers, a bunch of robbers up to the other side of a ravine. And the shepherd who was sleeping, not a good shepherd, right? <laughs> The shepherd on the other side who was sleeping looked across the other ravine and saw all his sheep with the robbers and was overwhelmed and knew, I cannot take down those robbers by myself. And so the shepherd instead just made a call and went running up the other side. And in no time, the sheep had outrun all the robbers and made it to the other side of the ravine with the true shepherd because they knew his voice. Then a story of a sheep herder in Africa who had his own herd of sheep and his property, there was a property line and next to his property on the other side was a hireling shepherd, a shepherd who was just working a hired hand, a tenant farmer. And the tenant farmer's sheep had no pasture and there were weeds because that shepherd didn't take care of the earth. And that shepherd didn't lead the sheep to other pastures. And that shepherd's sheep were not well taken care of. They were diseased. And this shepherd who owned his flock took good care of them. And so all along the fence and the border, all the shepherd, all the sheep from that flock would peek in and just sit and look at the green pastures on the other sides of the fence. There are good shepherds and there are bad shepherds. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees and the listeners and who us today who read this book, I am a good shepherd. I'm going to take care of you. But the Pharisees didn't understand this. They didn't really care about the sheep. So Jesus uses another picture from sheep farming it was hard for me to find a good quality picture of this image. But do you guys see how there's a shepherd in the doorway of the sheep pen? And there's goats in there and all sorts of different kind of sheep. But that's what it means to be a gate in a sheep pen. It's an actual person sitting there being the gate. If you're going to get in there, you have to go by a person so, John 10, verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly, hear it again, amen, 
I've got something to tell you. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The law and the tradition of the Pharisees no longer determines who is in and out. All the chapter nine, the story before this about the healing of the blind men, the Pharisees are trying to trap this family to decide who can be in and who can be out. But Jesus is saying to the blind man who was thrown out of that synagogue, do you want to come and go? You can come and go through me. I am the gate and I've come that you can have life. Jesus is calling us right now to you and to me and saying, come follow me, I'm the gate. I can bring you in and out. I've come so you can have life. In this next story, Jesus says, I am the shepherd. I want you to listen. What makes the shepherd different? What does Jesus emphasize? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. And then here's this thing about blind eyes being opened. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So I have three questions. Well, I have one question and three points, answers. How do you know the good shepherd? Because he knows his sheep and he knows us as us by name. Jesus knows us and this is my testimony. This is my word. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, right? I'm not gonna give you details on these stories because I have too many to tell, but I know Jesus is a good shepherd Good shepherd, I think about how God brought me here to Utah and how he provided for my schooling and how he provided for all sorts of opportunities for me. 
And then even today, that was years ago, how God brought me here and provided a home for me to stay in and places for me to connect. God provides for me and knows me uniquely. I, I think about how even just in this last season, God provided a little something simple, a pottery class for me. It might seem simple and weird and you could get a pottery class anywhere, but to me, the way it happened and how God provided it has so many details of his breath in it. And I would love to tell you that story sometime. Throughout my life, after following Jesus, the good shepherd, he's corrected me with his rod and his staff. I've seen him change my ways, ways of pride, ways of fear, ways of greed. I've watched him kindly correct me. And it's always startling, like, oh, yes, I do this. Yes, oh, I do that. But when the shepherd does it, it's so life-giving. It's like, whoa, shepherd, I've been doing this. The good shepherd speaks to me and prepares me. He's, he's given me so many dreams where I hear God saying, study this, read this, read this chapter in the Bible, read this book in the Bible, and think about this. In a simple dream, that fast, I wake up the next day and I turn open my Bible and I'm like, hmm, what does this mean, Lord? And sometimes it takes months, sometimes it takes years before I see God was preparing me to walk this journey right now. God prepared me that many years ago for what I'm going through right now? How incredible. What a good shepherd. The good shepherd protects us. The good shepherd comforts us. I think of difficult times when our family, our friends have been in the hospital. And the good shepherd is right there comforting us in the midst of really difficult, bummer, bad things. Really bad things. And yet the shepherd is there walking with you. You can feel him. Jesus knows me so profoundly. I have incredible friends. I have incredible family. But no one cares for me like Jesus. No one. And that's what gets us choked up, right, Steve? <laughs> How do you know a good shepherd? He knows you. How do you know a good shepherd? He lays down his life for his sheep. In all of the other, think about sheep. They were to provide wool, they were to provide nutrition, the goats probably provided milk in the flock. They provided the sacrifice. In the, in the law, and the tradition, the lamb was the sacrifice. And yet, in this story, it's kind of an allegory. I'm sure everyone's looking at him and saying, Jesus, this word picture doesn't work. Jesus, this, this allegory is a little messed up because the lamb is supposed to be the sacrifice. But how many times does Jesus say, I lay down my life for the sheep? 
He says it over and over and over again, four times. Remember Jesus's temptation when he started his ministry? Remember when the Holy Spirit took him out into the wilderness and then Satan finds him and starts tempting him? And these are the three temptations. Turn stones into bread. Be relevant, Jesus. Do something practical. Feed yourself. Come on, Jesus. Do something practical here. The next one, throw yourself from the temple. Do something spectacular, Jesus. We want to see something amazing. And then the third one, Satan says, the devil says, take the kingdom of the earth for yourself. Come in cahoots with me. You can have all the kingdoms of the earth. Be powerful, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Away from me, Satan. The only thing I'm going to do is worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Jesus came to lay down his life. He's this powerful lion this beautiful, majestic lion of the tribe of Judah. And yet, he's the lamb shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus isn't just a good shepherd. He's an entirely unique and unusual new kind of shepherd. He's a lamb shepherd. How else do we know a good shepherd? He's looking for more sheep. He's out there looking for more sheep. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. He's driven by this passion. He's speaking to the Jewish culture at the time, and he's saying, there are more sheep than just us. There are all these Gentiles. We got to go reach them. I must bring them also. They're going to listen to my voice. And we're going to have one flock and one shepherd. The good shepherd is out there looking beyond this flock, beyond our flock, beyond us. He's the lamb shepherd slain. Here in our building, we have flags. I don't know how many flags these are. Stanley, how many flags are there? 45? Oh, 205. We have 205 flags here representing the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations of the earth. And the good shepherd is out there looking to add to his flock. That's the big picture. But maybe you, maybe you're saying, I'm not in the flock. Maybe you're saying, I'm the black sheep. <laughs> maybe you feel like you've been taken by robbers or you're held by a tenant shepherd who could care less about you. Don't let religious systems, organizations, customs or traditions, or us here. <laughs> or your own fears, or your own injuries, 
or your own history or your own ideas keep you from coming to Jesus. He knows you by name. He knows the color of your coat. He knows your injuries. He knows what you eat. He knows what is maybe harassing you. He knows the injury here or the injury there. Jesus is the gate. Pastors, we're not the gate. Friends are not the gate. Churches or Bible studies, religious systems are not the gate. Jesus is the gate. And he's calling out for you. He's looking at He's calling out to you and he's inviting you. He doesn't force. He doesn't force. He's calling. There's a scripture in another passage that says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. Jesus is inviting you to follow a good shepherd to lay down your life to restorative wholeness. So I want to finish today um, by reading Psalm 23 together. Um, before we do that, I'll just um, want to say a few things. Um, for those of you who watch online or listen to podcasts, please know how much we love hearing from you. When you call us and tell us what's on your heart, um, it's so valuable and precious to us. And we love to hear from you. And if you're listening or watching and you want to know more about who Jesus is, then you can just call us and we'll talk. And we'll do our best to point you to Jesus, the gate, and introduce you to the Good Shepherd. Um, if you're online today and you would like prayer, uh, Kelly and Sharon are going to be available to chat with you. And if you're here on site, we'll have someone at this table who would love, I think it's Carolyn and Jerry Budd and Kay, um, they are available to pray for you. Um, Let's read Psalm 23. If you're here, do you want to, you can stand or sit. You, it doesn't matter, but if you want to stand, you can stand. But I'd like to read this together, and we're going to read it slowly. And I just want to leave us with this today. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake.
Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. If you'd like to sit for a minute, you're welcome to sit. I asked Kathy to just play some music for a bit if you want to think about the Good Shepherd and be quiet there for a minute. You're welcome to do that. And um, I'll just pray a blessing. God, we're so thankful that you're a lion, you're strong and you're mighty and you have a roar. But we're also thankful that we triumph by the blood of the lamb, the lamb shepherd. And I bless this church family. I bless the people who are listening that we would be the sheep of your pasture, that we would know your voice, that we would come in and go out in safety and in comfort, that your rod and your staff, they would comfort us and lead us, and that goodness and mercy would follow us that we would know how to feast in the presence of our enemies and that we would know your comfort when we walk through dark places and that we would know that we are yours and you are ours. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today. Thank you for joining us.